Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. We're at minute three of Time Bandits right now. We get more of Kevin's parents watching TV until his bedtime. Now, the TV ad is claiming that the Moderna Wonder Major All-Automatic Convenience Centerette uh, can bring you a meal freezer to plate in 15 and a half seconds. Kevin's mom scoffs, saying that the Morrissey's have got one that can do that in eight seconds. Block of ice to beef bourguignon in eight seconds. Lucky things. And then Kevin's dad responds with a, uh, well, at least we've got a two-speed hedge cutter. <laughs> Outstanding dialogue. I love it. Have you used the, at least we've got a two-speech hedge cutter? No. With your no, wife? No. We, we are not caught up in that. Competition with the neighbors is not our not our deal, so... I use it as a, like a, just an apropos of nothing. She'll be like, oh, we're out of ice cream. And I'll say, well, at least we've got a two-speech head. I love cutter. it. Yeah, I could see that being useful in a lot of different ways. It's kind of like the, the Bill Murray meme of, uh, so I've got that going for me, which is nice. Right, right. <laughs> like, Gilliam's really going for the throat here in terms of portraying adults in middle-class britain as being possibly the most boring and consumerist level of hell imaginable and he does that in all of the movies oh yeah definitely in this in brazil yeah definitely this in brazil there's that people buying stuff that they don't need there's bureaucracy needlessly complicating things he's got a lot of commentary about plastic on furniture he has he comes at bureaucracy from a couple of different angles because in Brazil, it's kind of like comforting. Bureaucracy is comforting? In terms of the main character when he first starts out. Because he doesn't want to be promoted ever. He's like, I am having a great time being an invisible cog in this giant machine. Right. It's great. you know. And, and he knows the ins and outs. He's like, oh, I've got my B22 said slash alpha form right here in triplicate. He knows the system He's comforted by the system. There's an anonymity to the system. There's a beauty to the complexity of the system. Terry Gilliam has a lot to say about He really does. Even in this movie, after Kevin's parents blow up, and they blow up in full view of everything. Yeah. It isn't some secret thing that happens. No. The firemen are just like, oh, all right then, done here. <laughs> and they take off. He gets a wink. It's a wink, it's a, a wink, wink from the fireman. But, like, well, that was something. Eh? <laughs> kind of a special thing, though. We'll, we'll get into that 103 hours from now. On the TV, they're talking about your money or your life. In the last minute, we were talking about the appeal to the Japanese. The absurdist humor that was in Monty Python was a surprise hit uh, to in Japan. The absurdist nature of of the game show that's going on right now is just the. The earnest reality of Japanese TV. The earnest reality of it? They have the crazy game shows that can result in physical harm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, earnest reality. Well, there's another thing, too, that, like, I was in Japan for a very brief time, and I remember the commercials there, out of context for me, were completely from Mars, because you'd have, like, the punchline would be that the penguin sneezed, right? There'd be, like, Penguins okay. trying to sell you uh, uh, an ice cream sandwich, 
and at the very end it would focus on the penguin and then the penguin would sneeze and that was the uh the comedy gold for the for the end of the commercial <laughs> and i'm like i have no idea what the heck is happening in this commercial <laughs> to me the japanese can't get enough of a solid surprise left turn in their media they love a bonkers out of nowhere non sequitur it seems to me that they're quite into that in the same way that the british audiences are as well this doesn't this doesn't well, go for everybody i'm just talking we're about generalities the, the, the british are famous for being very repressed and uh, a lot of the, the, the Japanese cultures are too. So I think there's a lot of pent-up energy there. The, the cultural reasons for Japanese and British comedy having a bit of an overlap are, uh, are clear. They share a way of blowing off steam. There's a lot behind the dam. So when the dam breaks, you get some real levels going on. It's just this crazy stuff that comes out. And that's, that's Monty Python. Yeah. is just throwing everything at the wall and having it just all stick together in weird ways. We were talking about the two different kinds of comedy. We have the Monty Python stuff and we have the, uh, the Benny Hill stuff. And that's, that's Japan too. Even in America, you get like, you've got, you've got your Marx brothers and you got your three stooges. Uh, but you, yeah, you do see that in, in Britain as well as in Japan, as well as in America, for sure. That's what I'm talking about. You have the sinister game show being British comedy and you have sinister game shows being Japanese reality. Oh, okay. Okay, I see where you're headed. Sure. Like, this could be a legit game show. Where you have someone dangling over a thing of oatmeal or whatever. Yeah. Like, your money or your life, you you assume is tongue-in-cheek. But then as the movie progresses, you're like, oh my gosh, people are dying. <laughs> like, <laughs> that guy has a broken Japan, arm. What the heck? Yeah. In Japan, they don't go as far as dying. But someone could get something in their butt if you don't, like, guess an answer fast enough. Yeah, Japan. or like when uh, uh, the Simpsons go to Japan. It was like, in America, you compete for prizes. In Japan, we punish ignorance. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and Homer's like, ignore what? And flames shoot out of his microphone and burn his face. Right? Like, well, well, that's your money on your life. Right? And I think, there's, uh, I think that's similar to what's happening here. Is there? I think this is something that the British do really well, is this, this portrayal of something incredibly sinister as... Uh, commonplace yeah he wanted them to be watching something horrific passively like they do every night the fact that it's a game show is important because the the level of production on a lot of british game shows was really low if they were watching the news and the news was pumping out horrifying stories with big body counts it would hit would it would hit different right yeah. so it's it's they've yeah. got to be watching something that is being portrayed as entertainment but is like, uh, this is really dangerous and horrible stuff they've got here. So it's evil. It's the kind of evil that is like pulling off a fly's wings. That the person who's doing it is legitimately thinking, hey, this is a hoot. Right, right, exactly. Right? And you're like, no, you're sociopathic. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So I think, yeah, he's trying to sort of, he's kind of saying that, I guess, Kevin's parents, and to a level, all people in the middle class of that age are sociopaths. And that there is an aspect of society that is uh, completely disconnected with caring about each other and more concentrated right. on buying stuff, which I think, you know, it's not a completely new road to go down philosophically. The Peanuts kids were already talking about these themes in the yeah, 60s. 100%. Yes. Yeah, so. But it also works on the level of everything that's in Kevin's home 
eventually it, you can tell the whole movie from things that are in Kevin's yeah, home. Yeah, and this gets a huge callback at the end of the movie for sure. Well, and that got me thinking, Duncan. Yeah. The models on TV, I didn't give them thought. I didn't look them up on IMDb. I didn't try to figure out who they are. Are the models that are on the TV show Mom and Dad just like they are at the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness? No, I don't think so. Well, the, are there models or are there just contestants? Tell, well, no, because we've got someone leading contestants out, don't we? Because oh, there's a woman, there's with, a woman that comes with out. feathers. Gosh, yeah. I wonder if that's the mom. It kind of looks like her. It kind of, it's, oh, it's so hard to tell. It does kind of look like her, though. Maybe we'll get a better shot later. I, I don't think we ever see this again. It looks like she's got about the same height, similar legs. The same build, same hair. I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> Not quite high, high enough resolution to, to see that for sure. but I know. Oh, well. You're literally looking at the uh, at the Criterion uh, playback yeah. right now? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's our that's best our bet. That's our best bet. So, hopefully it's her. <laughs> I, uh, I, We're never going to know what's on the calendar. We're never going to know <laughs> that's if that's her. Right. Enhance. Enhance. <laughs> well, we cannot. So, but meanwhile, Kevin is in the background reading a history book, and he is loving it. He chimes in telling his parents that the ancient Greek warriors had to learn 44 ways of unarmed combat and that they were trained to kill people 26 different ways with their bare hands. He's so into it. He's just like, this is fantastic. And, uh, and when I was a 10-year-old, I ran with that. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Oh, you couldn't... I repeated that to people. Keep me, I was I was reading about dinosaurs and the Romans, and and it's something that, I guess, you know, we do... We The needs of the immediate start to kind of take over the forefront of your mind as an adult, and uh, unless it's your job, you start to kind of forget about being fascinated by other stuff. Maybe that's what it is to be a child, just to be fascinated by pretty much everything. Did you ever go through a phase where you were into the ancient Greeks or, or Romans? Definitely the mythology of it. Specifically. The mythology, the gods Yeah, and the stuff. gods, definitely. When he was talking about King Ag Agamemnon. Yeah. Ag <laughs> That's weird. It's I call it Agamemnon, but in one of the one of the behind the scenes interviews that I watched they call it Ag Agamemnon. And I'm like Agamemnon. Is it Agamemnon or Agamemnon? I thought it was Agamemnon. Well, in the movie, it's Agam Agamemnon. <laughs> Am a god. Agamemnon. 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 He, first of all, he was real. Yep. And I didn't know that for the movie. I thought they were just making it up. Right. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. They were using Napoleon. They were using, I, I suppose because they were using ogres and stuff that I didn't make any assumptions about whether any of these characters right. were real. You know, just, oh, they happen to have Napoleon, but, you know, they also have Pansy <laughs> and an ogre, and it's like, oh, this, this stuff couldn't be real. Yeah, yeah. So I could I could dig not knowing that that, uh, that he was, that Agamemnon was a, real, was a real dude. But he was, historically, or there's records of him anyway. So that leads me to ask, as a real guy, did he train people... 23 different ways to kill someone with their now, Agamemnon? I would argue that every army worth its salt in the before, in, in the, the before times, times, in the, you know, <laughs> like before Christ came along or whatever. Uh, before the apocalypse. There was a, I mean, they had arrows and they had swords, but uh, cannons and stuff like that didn't come along until a lot later. So I imagine that by default, they would know a whole lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
That makes ancient Greeks, according to Kevin's book, pretty much ninjas. Well, to him, they would be, right? And the Spartans, yeah. I mean, geez, you don't need to read a whole lot about Spartans to, to, to get that that's pretty much true. If you won against the Spartans, you lost three quarters of your people doing it, you know? So here we are. Here we are. And one thing I really, really like about uh, Craig Warnock. Okay, so let's talk about Craig Warnock. He plays Kevin. And one thing I really, really love about Craig Warnock in this movie is that uh, for this entire movie, he really comes across as totally natural. I, I never get... Like it's really happening. I yes. never get the sense that he's, you know, quote unquote, acting. Well, and in the behind the scenes things, it seems like he just really is, like he's really nailing it. He's, they don't have to do 17 takes for him to get it yeah. right. To get the tone right or anything. Yeah, but he, he and he doesn't look to like he's not like a Macaulay Culkin or a Jonathan Lipnicki or 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 what have you. Or I remember the Cosby Show. They got a new youngest. Rudy was the youngest, and then they had another kid join. Big beautiful eyes, sassy demeanor, just complete a hundred percent sitcom kid. Whereas Rudy kind of looked real, and Rudy kind of came across like. Like an actual, yeah. like like their youngest kid, but the new kid was very much, you know, rolled off a out of a factory, and was you know all dolled up to be like a TV kid. And as a child watching TV shows that had kids in them, I really had them separated into two camps. I had them separated into like these are TV kids that bear absolutely no relation to actual children, and then there are like the kids that kind of come across as uh, kids that are like me and kids that are that are behaving in a way that kids might actually behave. And uh, this is definitely in the, in the latter camp, this kid here, Craig Warnock really comes across as he's, he's just in this reality. And that's, it, it's hard to carry a movie when you're a kid and he does it effortlessly. And I think it's down to the direction. And I think it's just down to like, yeah, he knew exactly what he had. It was Craig Warnock's older brother that auditioned for this part, but while he tagged along, uh, Craig uh, tagged along to the uh, to his brother Grant's audition, and then Terry Gilliam ended up talking to Craig and was like, "Oh, wait a second, he really liked the look and the ease of Craig," and so he ended up uh, talking to Craig more about it. And I just, I really wonder if that ended up causing any bad blood between the brothers. You know, I hope not. Craig Warnock, when you look him up. You get a guy that looks like Kevin as an adult, but his movie credits only go back to 1997. Yeah. To My Brother's yeah. War. He looks like he was born around the same year that Craig Warnock. Craig Warnock was born on February 22nd, 1970 in Hammersmith, London, England. And uh, in the one IMDb, it says that he's known for Time Bandits and To the Lighthouse and that he's been, been married to Christina Bell since April 2001. They've got two kids. Um, but then there's this other Craig Warnock who seems to be Canadian, who is an actress right? in Cinderella Man and uh, did some voiceover work and seems to live in Ontario. And he's married to somebody named Patricia Empringham, also got married to her in 2001. Uh, so <laughs> these might be two separate folks we're looking at here. Isn't it crazy how much Craig Warnock number two looks like he could be Kevin? I up? did. I actually think that uh, <laughs> my my whole thing that I was thinking was like, wow, he really changed. Oh, wow. 
I would not think that this is that kid. He's some people look like just grown up versions of the same face they had when they were two years old. And then some people are yeah. like, you see baby pictures of them and you're like, I, that's you. I, I can't tell that doesn't, that looks nothing like you. So some people really change. And I thought he was one of those people, but you think he actually bears a resemblance to, to Kevin? Well, let me just look at the, at the other Craig. One thing I think would be hilarious is if, uh, we went to Craig Warnock's house and he had some plastic wrapped furniture in his house. <laughs> I think it would be hilarious if we got the wrong one on to talk about time. <laughs> yeah. That would be very funny. Oh, I was never in time bandits. Oh, Oh, this is awkward. No, no, I've I've been in this. Are we band. recording? Uh, My first oh, movie yeah, was nineteen ninety seven. Well, I'm very sorry, Craig. Uh... <laughs> so, have you seen Time Bandits? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, he's pretty handsome. This guy, that's uh, the other Craig Warnock. It's now so one of them's been a musician in the bands These Animal Men and Mo Solid Gold, and I think that's our Craig Warnock. I'm not sure. We've got two Craig Warnocks. Both got married in 2001. Both born in 1970. They're of an age. And they're both in show business. What we're saying is, is that we will get to the bottom of this as the podcast commences, for sure. But I just wanted to be transparent about the fact that there are two Craig Warnocks out there. And, uh, you know, the, the similarities are wild. I hope we can track down the actual actor because um, I'd love to I'd love to talk to him. I'm curious about where, where he's at and what his memories are. Because when you remember things <laughs> like, oh, man, like I took my daughter to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. and But one of the things that she remembers the most is that in the hotel lobby, there was a tray of free cookies that refilled. <laughs> so every morning she went down there and was like, oh, boy, free cookies. So like in the same way that that happened, like I wonder what Craig Warnock's like the the. What's a child's memory of a big budget Hollywood production? But anyway, so that's the mystery of Craig Warnock. Hopefully we'll, we'll keep you posted on what happens there. Uh, it's Kevin's bedtime. Nine o'clock. So he gets ignored by his parents and sent off. The alarm goes off on his dad's Casio tone digital, digital watch. And, uh, he's like, oh, bedtime. Off you go. And he's like, okay, we'll. And then we get, um, a small clip of your money or your life starring Jim Broadbent. And uh, I love Jim Broadbent. I didn't do too much research on him, but he's been in so many TV shows and so many films. The Every time, time he shows up in a movie, I'm just like, oh, good. Oh, yay. It's it's, uh, it's Jim Broadbent because he's just as at home in comedy as he is in drama. He's a fantastic dramatic actor, but he is also a fantastic comedic actor. The dude is hilarious. Well, so, and uh, he's got a delivery that's kind of the same for both. What yeah, I mean is like that's his, the thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, the difference like between when he, like he, when he's being see, scary, like, he does the same thing when he's being scary and it works as when yeah. he's being funny and it works. Totally, it's not like like you know ro serious Robin Williams versus comedy Robin Williams are two entirely different people. But like Jim Broadbent, you're right; his delivery is kind of similar, no matter <laughs> no matter if he's portraying ultimate evil or. Uh, or a silly slapsticky person, he, oh, he still goes. And he could he have commits. just been he he could just slide into any role that exists. This guy, he could have been Marcus Brody in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He sure. Have, I think one of my favorite roles from him in Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge is the movie that made me oh, finally yeah. start paying attention to him because he was right. exactly that thing that I'm talking about, where you can't really get a handle on 
if he's being good or bad. Like, you can be creeped out by him, and your heart can be warmed by him from one scene to the next. Yeah. Jim Broadbent, fantastic. 10 out of 10, wonderful, wonderful actor. Game show, broadcast, origins, no matter where they appear to be on Earth, originate at the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness. <laughs> they seem to. Yeah, you just got to watch Quiz Show to, like, <laughs> know what uh, it just does not... What was it? I think it was... Oh, who's that gonzo journalist from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Oh, man, Damn that it. guy. There's people listening right now losing their minds. <laughs> Yelling his name. Hunter S. Thompson. That was yeah, yeah there we go. Good one. He says, uh, the television business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where greed is rewarded and good men die like dogs. Wow. And I've always loved, <laughs> I knew people that were, casting directors and television actors who had that taped to their fridge you know like because <laughs> it's bang on it's true and uh if it makes money then it gets the green light there's a the very 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 dark side to the entertainment industry that is you know been traveled well you know goes way back to fatty arbuckle and you know black dahlia and all this yeah. kind of you know even now with like jeffrey epstein and like this like people that are like there's horrible things happening or, and what happens to a lot of the child actors. So I, I get what Terry Gilliam's trying to, trying to say here with this game show. And, and I love that Jim Broadbent is being chosen as the actor because he can switch. <laughs> he can do that, you know, hilarious. Oh, and, you oh both you're the same scary. Time. Yeah. You know, he can go back and forth between the two. It's the eyes. It's the really, eyes. it's his eyes. It's his eyes. Damn his eyes. The novel, the novel, pretty much the same, except that, uh, as Kevin's walking up the stairs, he asks if they can go to Greece one day. And both his parents respond in unison, Good night, Kevin! <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the one difference. And then in the comic, we get this, we get the same thing, except as he's going to bed, Kevin is like, I bet Napoleon didn't have to go to bed at nine o'clock. I bet Napoleon didn't have to go to bed at all unless he wanted to. Which we're going to find out about. Yeah, so that's uh, so he's that's sort of a, a they bring Napoleon in earlier, which uh, which they haven't done. And he goes to sleep looking at his Napoleon doll in the comic book. Yeah, that's right. Which, as we know, is the first place he ends up. Yeah, and in the script, we get the same uh, Moderna complex commercial with the addition of a toaster with a range of fifty yards, which is hilarious. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know, right? And then does it toast everything in a 50-yard range around it, or does it eject the toast at such a speed that it can go 50 yards? Out? So you don't have to stand up. It'll it'll just shoot it to you. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then Kevin, yeah, he goes, he says, can we go to Greece one day? As he goes upstairs, but his dad's like, bedtime. And that's an interesting thing with this family is because I know a lot of, you know, middle-class folks go, like, they, they summer places. They vacation places. Mm-hmm. Um and I get the impression that these two never go anywhere. So that to me is a bit of a difference. Like, like they would go to Greece, but they'd go to the McDonald's in Greece, you know, like if they did go to Greece. So it's kind of, I, I think, I guess that's the question I'm asking. Would they go to Greece? Not at Kevin's request, but just in principle, would they ever go to Greece? I honestly can't picture them going anywhere. No, I think they would complain the moment the plane touched down about how hot it is, and they would uh, complain the whole trip until they went home. 
we get it there's a bit more there's a little bit more of your money or your life where the host uh gets the contestants an old couple named mr and mrs Stavaker. right uh he gets the wife to he gets the husband to confess the wife's sexy pet name for the husband He's like, I said, what does your what does your wife call you in the more intimate moments of your marriage? And uh, the husband, <laughs> the husband ashamedly says, she calls me Jumbo. <laughs> Jumbo and, uh, it is then. Jumbo it is then. And then ends up calling him Jumbo. And then later on, when we cut back to him, he's wearing like fake elephant ears and a fake elephant trunk. And he's uh, doing that kind of stuff with him. So he's but that's. That's it. That would have been evil of uh, of of Broadbent to do, and I think they they wanted to cut back on the evil for this clip. <laughs> you know, just sinister. Is your money or your life is a sinister enough um, title for a game show? I think that's all they needed. But then Kevin, yeah, Kevin turns his light off, like in the film. He's like, it is off, and that turns it off. But that's about uh, that's about all I've got for minute three. A little sparse. Let's just uh, let's leave the show speculating on different ways to kill people with your bare hands. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's the obvious. Know, talk, well, choking. what do we got here? He's talking about how many how many ways? Twenty six different ways. Twenty six different hands. ways. Okay, ready? One choking. <laughs> Two. Two. I mean, choking. I mean, throttling. Two. <laughs> Three. Strag- strangulation. Strangulation. Uh, two. Uh, holding holding uh, your hand over their mouth and nose so that they can't breathe uh, yeah, in their sorry. Which Asphyxiation. Is right? right. So we've got throttling, choking, strangulation, and asphyxiation. Uh, oh, there's all push, kinds pushing of Pushing in different. on the carnary artery so all the blood gets caught off from your brain. Uh, holding them under water. Uh, okay, good one. Good. We've got a lot of just not breathing going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cutting uh, out their air supply in some way. Pushing hit, hitting them, them really the hard. Hitting them really hard on their solar plexus so that their heart skips and maybe stops. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Punching them super hard. Like uh, really hard. Uh doing the doing the break the na- the you know, the James Bond neck break thing. There you go. From behind. That's what you gotta do. Uh Man, the thing I, where you I, the thing where you push the push push your hand up into their nose, driving oh, their nose into their brain and killing them. That's right. The oh, and then related, little... the thing where you go up from underneath of their jaw and hit that little nerve complex there. There you go. And go brah. Yeah, the Remo Williams. The yeah, Remo yeah, Williams yeah. That special. one. That one. What are we up to? Is that like 11? Did we keep track? <laughs> I think that's like 11. <laughs> the Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields. The movie, Time Bandits, was created by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films. The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. It is published by Severn House Publishing. The comic book adaptation, Time Bandits, was created by the team at Marvel Comics and published by Stan Lee. The screenplay, Time Bandits movie script, was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books. You can find more of us at timebanditsminute.com or text us at 712-830-7373. You can also find us on Facebook at Time Bandits Minute, the podcast. Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format. If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out moviesbyminutes.com. Join us next week when you'll hear a knight say... 